0: Have you ever been watching a bad movie and thought to yourself, wow, any half-drunk jackass could come up with a better pitch than this? Well, have I got a podcast recommendation for you. The Film Rescue Show is a podcast that does exactly that. They take a movie, break down what worked and what didn't, and then pitch a new, sometimes better. And if you're interested but don't know which episode to start with, I've been on some of the best, such as Red Dawn, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Hellboy, Warcraft, Scott Pilgrim. You can find all these and The Film Rescue Show either by searching for The Film Rescue Show or Jaguar Shark on your favorite podcasting site. Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Darkest Timeline.
1: I'm Lord Commander Ulrich and with me as always is... his hey, Shield Brother Axel Wright. How's it going today man? It's going okay. I'm kind of tired but I got my taxes done today so you know that's something. Yeah
0: I got my taxes done last week and I'm getting a return this year. Upside to Whoa.
1: this year. Alright well... I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time uh chit-chatting i think we got other business to get to
0: we got a fun episode ahead so let's roll right into the people that make it possible our wonderful wonderful patrons they are pam galley marky chris shipman river galley Krug, arthur crane kevin Vay. Brendan Eng, John Vinnels, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Dona Lucy, Carson Mell, Scott Ribbon, Derek and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to join the Illustrious Legion, have it on over at patreon.com forward slash geekswithshields. For $5 a month, you'll get access to all sorts of bonus content. Think of it like a streaming service, but cheaper, without commercials.
1: And today we have a, for the first time, new guest, so feel free to introduce yourself. Insert name here. Uh, hi guys, this is
2: uh, Scott Drebbit. Thanks for having me on Geeks with Shields. I am the author of the new book A Cut Below: A Celebration of B Horror Movies, 1950s to 1980s, which is excellent, by the way.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I feel <laughs> safe you. recommending this to our audience. Axel and I have both had a you know advanced copy read through, and if you are a horror movie fan that just kind of loves the meat and potatoes, like making of, influence, of, if you love horror. You're going to love this book. I've been enjoying going through like, I love this movie or I don't know this movie, but now I want to check it out.
1: Most of them were not knowns for me, but there were a couple that I recognized from one thing or another and a couple that at least one that inspired something that scarred me as a kid and another that's just something I always wanted to see and never had the time to. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you. You know, it it is a a, a real
2: cross-section, and I've been talking to different people. And, of course, wherever you come into the horror spectrum, from whatever age you come in, people come in at different ages, different times in their life. Your perspective is going to be different uh, from someone else's who experienced the same movie, let's say, 20 years apart you know yeah. because you're coming at it from a different point in, in in life that's why like a lot of well I mean all the movies in here I wanted to keep them within a certain time frame because they related specifically uh uh to me you know uh movies beho- before I was born and and movies going forward into my into my adolescence I wanted to and that's only because you know I I didn't want to do a um a like cut and dried reference book there are some wonderful absolutely brilliant uh deep dives uh into these types of movies and and what they mean psychologically and whatnot and i appreciate that i wanted to bring something a little more fun while while also bring some points across but i wanted this to be a little more lighter and 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 like the title says you know, a little bit more of a celebration.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and it's really fun. It's a little funny for me because with the, the, the review copy, I actually kind of forgot that the topic we're here to discuss today isn't actually the book. So I just had that entirely on my brain. (laughs) Like, like, okay. Example real quick to get this out. The, um, the movie that I had a hard time or that scarred me when I was a kid was not one you talked about, but was a remake of one you talked about. I, had heard that Willard was a remake. Okay. I didn't know anything about the original. I just remember being very, very young in the theater and watching a cat get murdered by a swarm of rats, and that screwed me up.
2: <laughs> sure, sure. That's fair enough. And, uh, yeah, and and again, I had seen the original, not not as a youngster, but a little bit older, but yet still, uh, you know, that the original has this almost fresh-faced Disney feel uh veneer to it but there's really sick shit pardon my french going
1: on you know <laughs> oh, underneath. You're, and oh, that's look, you're you're the... free to curse on this podcast it's all
2: good. <laughs> and uh and you know but that was the joy that was part of the joy of the 70s and and genre films is uh you know they were getting away with so much so but yes i've seen the the remake with crispin glover the glenn uh glenn morgan movie and i really dig that too they're like you know and, and I'm not one of these people who says, just because you have a remake, you have to forget about the original or or vice versa. Uh, you know, the original's always going to be there. Uh, yeah, well, then
1: you totally know what I mean. It's that, that sequence yeah. where the cat jumps oh, from yeah. the dresser to the, the vent, but the vent fills up with rats. And the, like, yeah. the operatic music's playing as it falls into the sea. That image was burned into my brain. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. You know, we all have that we all have that kinder trauma, right? I mean, my my very first uh, horror film was Burnt Offerings when I was six years old in the theater with my mom. Uh, And that and that was only a PG movie and is really quite tame. But when you're six years old, and you see this very imposing uh, chauffeur in black and white with this creepy smile across his pasty face with uh, uh uh these dark sunglasses it uh it kind of you know gets under your your skin a little bit <laughs> so yeah. same same you know yeah.
1: and then and then the other one i just wanted to mention at the very least because it's been on my radar for years i just never got around to seeing it oddly enough similar material is of unknown origins which i've wanted to watch forever i just never got around to doing that is uh, that's a great one
2: um yeah, that's in the um back baking bloodbath
1: yeah, section. yeah. I've seen yeah. clips of Peter Weller losing his shit and that was enough for me.
2: <laughs> it's great because you know if 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 you're only familiar if someone's only familiar with him through, you know, through RoboCop, uh he get he's a lot more emotive. <laughs> you know, if that's your only exposure to him. Yeah, he goes I mean, it's Moby Dick, right? There's there's many you know uh jokes in jokes and references and whatnot it's it's a film that doesn't take itself too seriously how could it it's a giant rat versus man <laughs> yeah you know? uh, right.
1: really... I, I, can't, I can't promise not to ask more book related things because <laughs> it's awesome but uh Ulrich, you want to lead us into what our actual topic for today is
0: yeah we are Debuting a new show format today, which we call Geeky Top Five, which is really simple. We invite a guest on and we ask them to share with us their top five geeky loves however they define that and scott did us a real easy favor by picking his five favorite horror movies and i'm really curious to see what you got for us because your book is this great example of it's going to give you new movies to seek out like i went like i've never i've never seen that one i want to watch that one and then insights into it's always fun when someone talks about a movie that you love like when i was reading to the glossary south piranha i'm like oh what did he say about piranha yep that 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 tracks <laughs> <laughs> I have a soft spot for that movie because it's like I think I saw it with my grandparents when I was like
1: seven because it cause was I, funny which which movies like I would I would read about what you said and there were plenty where I was like all right cool I'm I'm interested and then there were several others where I was like I have to go to the wiki right now and just read about read more about this yep <laughs> cuz uh that happened with uh, the incredible shrinking man like your description of it I was like I have to find out more about this right now
0: no I would almost uh, describe this like a shopping list book that you pick up like you got a halloween party and like well I want to do some deep cuts flip through this you're going to find some really interesting reads and I just kind of like the little essays you go with like, hey, this is what was going on at this time. Oh, well,
2: you know what, guys? That's uh, absolutely music to my ears. I mean, the whole uh, point, and and the book came out of, was a growth out of uh, my Drive-In Dust-Offs column at Daily Dead that I was been writing since 2015, is I wanted to highlight uh, older films of, of the Drive-In era But I wanted to make sure that it would be that I would reach people who not only uh, hadn't seen them before, but also I had to make it interesting for people who had seen it. Um, So but I always tried to do in every single one of my pieces is make sure that I don't I can tell the plot, but you're not going to get any of the twists uh, because. I've always thought, I don't care if the movie's 40 years old, it's new to someone.
1: Yeah. I I, I don't remember which movie it was. I don't want to just give away every movie you talk about. I know it wouldn't be fair, but I know there was one movie that you started describing the plot, and you yourself up front were like, this plot is not really describable. And it ended with something like a, a woman in a bed fighting cosmic galaxy monsters oh oh you must be talked
2: that would be the manitou from the yeah. wonderful William Girdler I uh, yeah, remember the way his, you
1: described the plot you were like this can't be described
2: <laughs> it's uh and again that that one is in uh the section the festival entitled uh WTF what the film because <laughs> there's just some stuff that you read the description and you're saying well yeah are you saying someone gave them money to make that yes and it made money, and it made decent money.
0: God bless right? horror.
2: <laughs> God
1: bless so, horror, right? So out of curiosity, then, the, the five movies that brought for us, how many yes. of them are described in your book? I mean, I have it open right here. Uh,
2: I mean, all of them are talked about in one way or another in the book, maybe, albeit briefly. But the only one that's in the actual book is uh, uh, Phantom of the Paradise. So I only have one of my
0: five. All right. All
2: right, cool. It's an entryway then. (laughs) It is. Yeah, Phantom of the Paradise. And uh, and again, these are in no particular order, but... uh, Let's start there then. All right. Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. Um, What can I say? I kind of have a personal (laughs) connection with this one because I had heard the soundtrack way before I had seen the movie. The movie came out in 74. This was
1: if I remember correctly your older brother had the record
2: yeah my older
1: brother had the record
2: um and you know from the time I was like six years old I'd been hearing the soundtrack until you know on when when I saw it on videotape probably when I was 11 so probably for like five years I knew the songs inside note before having even seen um the movie so that was kind of of a kick. But seeing the movie, by the time I had seen the movie, I had already had a few Brian De Palmas uh, under my belt.
1: <laughs> yeah, De Palma is one of those <laughs> yeah, names that comes a couple up. De Palmas. Yeah. yeah, it comes up a few times in the book. That and uh, Hammer. I remember mentioning Hammer a lot. <laughs> sure, yeah, a lot of Hammer oh, horror
2: goes, flows through the veins. Yeah, so um, I, like I said, I'd already seen a couple... De Palma's by then Carrie, uh, obviously, and Dressed to Kill, and probably Sisters even, and and The Fury. So seeing this was, you know, I, I had already, and I think if the if for the film to succeed, it would have had to have been primed by seeing some other De Palmas first from a later date and then time traveling back and showing people those and then giving them uh, Phantom of the Paradise. It just doesn't sit right in his filmography to be successful.
0: It's, it's yeah. weird. It's been a it's long perfect. time since I've seen that movie, but weird is how I would describe it most aptly. It's weird, and it's probably about uh, 20 years too too soon.
2: Um, you know, it's When did 20, it come out? 74. So,
0: yeah, you're right. It, it's too soon. So
2: <laughs> 25 years too soon because, uh, you know, it was really kind of the precursor to your American Idol In the sense that, you know, they took the Juicy Fruits and um, they gave them uh, Winslow Leach's music. And then they became a different group using the same, singing different songs, but it's the same guy. And it's a whole, it's a whole about the, uh, the fakery and the the plasticness of, of show business um so i think in the amer if it had come out in the american idol age it may have certainly played better or if it had come out now in kind of a post age where uh musicals are big again
0: yeah musicals and, have definitely made a comeback but it also does yeah. kind of it benefits from the sheen has gone off the music industry it's not as bright and shiny as it we once perceived it to be we kind of see the nitty-gritty underlings and like oh yeah hmm yeah so-
2: and, and- and the weirdness hasn't, uh, you know, subsided with it either. And I think that that is in its favor.
0: People <laughs> we are more accepting of weird horror now. I think.
2: Oh, a hundred percent. That's why you, if you had slapped uh, a twenty-four on the opening, yeah, case, right. Uh, all of a sudden, it would have been bigger than just Paris and Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> but there you go. So yeah, Phantom of the Paradise is. Uh, just the music's great. Uh, the performances are great. De Palma. Like I said, I'd had a few De Palmas under my belt already, so I was kind of... I was fully prepared.
0: You knew what you were going in for, you recognized I knew
2: what I was going in for. Um, yeah, so that one holds... And I watched that one probably twice a year, for sure.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Uh,
2: let's see. Okay. Um, you know what? The original... Well, of course, the original. Nosferatu from 22.
0: Ooh. So... Uh, how are you feeling about the Robert Eggers version?
2: Oh, I'm ready to go. I'm a big Eggers fan. So, uh, and again, like, a, you know, I can't cheer on the idea of other remakes being okay and uh, not something like this. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Uh, out of, it, listen, if any of the movies in my top five were to be remade, and actually one of them has a few times, um, that's cool the more the merrier it's it you know my my copy sitting on the shelf isn't going anywhere yeah
0: well we've talked about it not on record but in general that horror is a great genre because it builds on iteration like every time we redo it like okay this didn't work last time what if we did this and it almost like as a genre kind of welcomes hey you think you got a better take have at it oh that wasn't very good well the next guy won't make that mistake hopefully
1: so, because the the first one you talked about is actually in your book, I didn't feel the need to ask this particular question. But for anyone who, like me, knows about Nosferatu, uh, you know it's very iconic, but hasn't actually seen it. What's like a a light play-by-play of the actual plot? Cause I feel like most people just know the image of Nosferatu, right?
2: Well, it's uh, it's Dracula. It's Dracula in everything uh, but name. They still got the fuck suit out of him uh, by Stoker's wife, though. <laughs> Damn! Uh,
0: but it, I didn't it's know Dracula. that. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, no, it's Dracula. It's the names are changed.
0: Um, <laughs> that's that's it, the yeah, lawsuit. It, that
2: that, there you go. There's your shorthand right there. Um, yeah, bit of a sore topic for for Stoker's uh, wife. Yeah, it's just a it's Dracula, but it's you know the uh, and again this is before you know Bella Lugosi did his in the '30s for Universal. The imagery is just it's still amazing uh uh to see of count orlock on on the ship you know heading to england that imagery where he comes out of the the from below up onto the deck or or he raises out of his coffin straight up and stiff you know uh that kind of thing but not only that it's it's such an engaging film and, and i would encourage every single you know horror fan out there, uh, to go back and watch some... I mean, you're talking about a film that's 102 years old now. Uh, it sure doesn't play like it. It's completely... In, it's 90 minutes that's completely engaging and beautiful to look at and uh, wonderfully acted and completely, like I said, a feast for the eyes. So, you know, for, for, for horror fans, if you're diving into the genre and you want to see you know, uh some early work that is still, you know, incredibly potent. Incredibly referenced. Least. Yeah. Yeah. Like and 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 for a good reason. You know, it's iconic stuff. Almost almost every scene, you know, in in the movie could be a screenshot. You know? Yeah. It's it's that kind of such such thought and, and passion uh is there that it's just oh it's a wonder it's just wonderful so go go horror fans if you're going for old stuff head back there
0: and it's public domain so it should be relatively easy to find on youtube
1: everywhere it's you can find it everywhere and its mother yeah out of curiosity Which is is great. this one when did you first see uh the original nosferatu
2: now i get, now see this is um you know i came to i came to this much later uh maybe in the last 10 years i finally got got around to seeing it yeah Uh, okay so you were
1: already primed for it
2: (laughs) as it were a hundred percent yeah and then when i finally did get around to seeing it you know the hype is is completely warranted i mean and and i think when something's already by that point 80 or 90 years old i think it's you know more than hype (laughs) i'd say it's you know it's fairly well established that it's it's at least good, but it's it's like blow away good, I I, I think, anyway.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny because I know that I myself have had experience with people who, um, okay, re- somewhat related. Like, I'm a sci-fi fan, big time, uh, like old school Doctor Who and Star Trek even. Sure. And, I, and generally people in my sphere who are my age and a little younger have a l- hard time watching things over a certain age and I feel like I have to be like no no I just got to look at it you know from this this other perspective than the one that you're currently coming at it from. <laughs> do, you, do you find that you have you've had that difficulty especially with films like Nosferatu where like oh it's an impact is super you know obvious but like you said it's a 100 year old
2: movie. Uh you know what not me personally and I fully understand um that if someone finds a very a very much an older movie, you know, they find themselves a little bit disengaged. And, you know, I grew up in, when I was growing up in adolescence, uh, MTV was just starting out. So, you know, it was right around that time, the dawn of the 80s, um, you were getting, you started to get, you know, um, quicker cuts in, in movies, which was influenced by, you know, uh, MTV, right? And because they were figuring, well, kids must be having shorter attention spans, so let's tighten up editing. You know, of course, it's to the point now where, you know, you blink and you're having an aneurysm sometimes. Yeah. Uh, because there's no takes over, like, two seconds,
1: you know? Especially so, bad in action films.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, so I kind of grew up in the kind of a perfect storm of... um pacing and film picking up but at the same time everything i was absorbing was 70s stuff you know uh some 60s stuff from tv or from matinees but you know in the theater i was seeing 70s stuff early 80s stuff and it wasn't until like the later half of the 80s where they really started to to slicken things up in terms uh, of editing so I, i was kind of pulled along at a natural progression you know of uh Of pacing, but I can fully understand, excuse me, a 15 year old today, um, you know, trying to watch like, you know, uh, the wild bunch or something, or even say uh, Rosemary's Baby and finding it like, you know, dull as dishwater. If they're they're not coming in, if the person isn't coming in with the attitude, uh, you have to have the context, I think, to
0: enjoy. Yeah. You, uh, you know. pretty much have to say, like, hey, this is a slow burn. And then people are like, oh, OK, they know what that means. But no, most movies, a lot of movies today, it really is surprising how quick they're just moving along. And it, it's kind of fun when you get a horror movie that really understands how to, you know, build the tension. Yeah, I
2: mean, you know what? I'm I'm good either way. I'm good with the slow paced film. I'm good with uh, a fast paced film. I just I feel I feel bad for the, the new uh, kid getting into cinema who isn't looking, you know, more than 10 years ago. I, I hope they're going back, you know?
0: I feel and also, like... And I, think if, and I think
2: if they are a, like a real uh, cinema buff, I think they will go
0: back. Well, I think horror has the benefit over a lot of sci-fi stuff of horror. We appreciate the older kind of schlockier stuff. At least it's tricky because growing up as a kid in the 90s, there was always the... Matinee afternoon movie, which was whatever they could put on for zero dollars, and it was usually a creature feature. So there's that ingrained love of, oh, giant ant monsters. Okay, yeah, that doesn't look real, but it's on. So
1: that that does kind of bring me to uh, I want to ask a, a a somewhat book question before we move on to your next film, which is really okay. just as as someone who you said you did a lot of your writing. Uh, you know, there's like a like a review column kind of thing. Sorry, I forgot the name of the publish. Uh, oh, uh, drive and dust Offs over at daily dead. Thank you, Driving Dustle or Daily Dead. For films like those, which you made an open, like a point of pointing out at the beginning of the book, that these are like kind of be kind of lesser knowns, they're, you know, deeper cuts, cut below, totally get it. What do you think, and I'm not saying like anything objective, just what do you think is the measure of quote unquote success with these kind of films? Because I don't feel like it's necessarily the same thing that people would think of with quote unquote other movies, you know? I think there's.
2: There's, you know, it can. There's a variety of things, and they don't necessarily all apply uh, to each film. Sometimes it can be um, like a cheesiness factor or an ironic factor. A film can be kind of so bad yet, but yet be sincere and entertaining, like a Plan Nine from Outer Space. Um, you know, I think sincerity, sincerity plays. You know, uh, a, a huge a huge part I think in in a successful type of, of film like this. I think what they all have um, that people like is the ones that work is um, maybe not a sense of competency so much. Uh, although I think the majority of the films uh, that I talk about in in the book certainly more than succeed in you know technically, but it really is that. Uh, um, that sincerity and kind of non-corporate, you know, artistic approach, however small or however, maybe they miss the mark, but you know what, someone's trying. And, and I think, uh, and and when you cross that with, you know, budget limitations, which can be sometimes hampering, but also sometimes incredibly exciting in terms of the ingenuity that has to come up, there's so many factors as to why these Different combinations of these films work because you know, no two of them are alike unless you're like, I don't know, talking Friday the 13th sequel. So then <laughs> you start to get, start to yeah. get into some similarities, but uh, you know, every I wanted to uh, in, in the book bring across or put across kind of a wide spectrum of uh, of different flicks, and that's why I kind of came up with the festival idea just so we could highlight a,
1: a bunch of different
2: corners of of the horror
1: universe. I I do really appreciate your focus on the term sincerity there, because I remember hearing somewhere once, and and I I don't know how many of your films you would think qualify for this, but I I heard somewhere once that you can't make a so bad it's good film on purpose. Those films tend to exist from someone who had an actual artistic vision, and for any number, usually many reasons, it just didn't pan out the way. I, I think I just... Uh, last year, I saw for the first time a film called "Bloody Pit of Horror," which was
2: mm-hmm. hilarious,
1: but a great example yeah. of what I'm talking about now. <laughs> sure, absolutely,
2: yeah, no, it's um, yeah, that sincerity is so important. There's nothing worse. Well, there's a couple things, but one of the worst uh, things I can think of is a movie that tries to be bad on purpose.
0: You know, there's so many of like, them out there, and yeah, you, you see them a mile of, away.
2: There, there's a lot of them out there yet, and it's that's not that's not what it's about. It's why, you know, the first uh, birdemic kind of works. It works for some, works for others, but at least you know there is this sincerity there. Then the sequels come about, and and you know some of that that moves away. So as long as um, two things, as long as they're trying, and as long as the movie isn't boring uh i'm there for it you know in in one in or at least i'm going to give it a a try uh a lot of these movies in the book i think uh, they're a combination i don't know if there's a common denominator other than i just really enjoy them um quality can certainly vary in between and for each person
1: all right i think that that's a good segue into your third film to discuss then
2: The third film would be that first one that I uh, uh, spoke about seeing with my mom at the age of six, which is Burnt uh, Offerings. Um, And that's, an again, that's an older one. That's from 76. Uh, Wasn't a big hit. uh, Wasn't critically loved, necessarily. I I haven't
1: heard of this. What's the elevator pitch? Yeah, this is a new one for me. Oh,
2: okay, perfect. So, the uh, Rolf family... Finds an offer to get out of New York City for the summer. An entire mansion is theirs as keepers for the summer for the low price of $900. The only catch is, is the uh, people who uh, own the house, the Allardyces, their mother uh, lives upstairs in a locked room. and But she's no trouble, really. She's 85 years old and, and she's not a bother. You just have to leave a tray of food outside of her door.
0: Always a good sign. Uh,
2: as, the, as the Rolfs get there, the house is uh, somewhat in a state. Uh, there's uh, shingles missing, paint peeling, the garden is dead. As the Rolfs are there, the longer they stay, uh, the more misfortune befalls them, the better the house repairs itself.
0: Oh, right. I'm, I'm on board that's horrifying yeah <laughs> uh
2: this movie was kind of a big influence on the shining there's a I can dad see it. there's a dad who's a writer he's got a son uh they have a they have a bit of a run in that's quite famous uh for this movie yeah it was uh it was one of stephen king's uh, he talked about it in 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 Dance, uh, macabre as uh, one of his favorite horror books of the seventies and yeah, you can tell because <laughs> yeah, it's very, uh, the shining took quite a bit. I think was quite a bit for, uh, from, it. no offense to the shining book, which is a great book. And just one more time. What year was this? Uh, this was the movie. This burnt offerings movie was 76. The book written by Robert Morasco was 73.
1: Okay. So right in the mid seventies. All right. We got, yes, we've got a creepy mansion. That is, state is inverse to the people who are currently staying there. That- you
2: got it. And their life for- as their life force uh, leaves them, the house uh, goes back to its uh, state. And as we see pictures lining the walls of the Dunsmere House in, uh, in California, in Oakland, um, we see through the centuries this house. In, in beautiful in beautiful state and and upstairs uh, we have pictures of people who've lived and and I'm I'm assuming died uh, in the house over over the centuries it's a it's a terrific movie you want to talk slow burn it's a, it is a slow burn uh, but again you know it was it was my first as it were
0: I so. love this as a concept like this is a really cool I mean part of that is The Shining. It, it still scares me to this day because I saw it way too young, but yeah. I, I I love the concept of the house. That is the house being haunted and then it feeding on the people, not haunting them as much yeah. as it's just slowly siphoning exactly. off them.
1: And, and something about that quality of it and not to use what is potentially a very overused word at this point, but that almost adds an eldritch quality to the proceedings when the, the, the domicile is feeding, <laughs> like it's mm. an, Unknowable creature of some sort. Yeah, because how do you beat that? Yeah, the book, the book certainly, the
2: book certainly uh, offers that kind of Lovecraftian uh, finale uh, in the sense that it's very vague and you don't know what the fuck's going on. Uh, (laughs) um, But it's very cosmic. It has kind of like a cosmic ending. The movie mm, stays a little closer to Earth and kind of gives you an Earthbound and more acceptable version to believe than than what uh, Morasco had kind of uh, cooked up for his finale in the book personally myself i prefer the finale of the book um but i don't know a lot of people who've read it uh, who are geeky about it like me who've read the book and seen the movie to talk about it and compare so i'm gonna need you guys to do both yeah uh, read the book <laughs> and uh and uh watch the movie and then we can we can get back at it
0: no, it's definitely offering. going on okay. my list. I I gotta yeah. check this out. This sounds right you up bet. my alley. I'll definitely add
1: it to the list. I'm I'm also now the the second you said they gotta leave food for the the mom. I'm like oh, if someone burns the food, is that where the title drop comes from? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, hold on. To that.
2: So I actually there's nothing about burnt offerings that I don't like. Like from the title on down, I was uh, yeah, that's a legendary. Okay, the next one is probably the next two. You guys, I'm. I know you're familiar with, uh, 19, uh, let's go first, 1978's John
1: Carpenter's Halloween. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice. I mean, of course. <laughs> yeah. So between uh, there's the two of us and there's Ulrich's wife uh, who does a sister podcast called Geeks Who Haunt, all focused on uh, horror specifically. Of the three of us, I am the least horror-minded. I have been kind of correcting that over the last few years. And one of the main ways I started correcting that was with halloween (laughs) awesome
2: there's listen okay so the and and the halloween story goes like this so it's 1978 my older my oldest brother uh jeff i was eight he was 14 he's babysitting me uh we're just sitting on the couch he turns to me and he says you want to go see halloween (laughs)
0: it's
2: like a it's like a wednesday night or a thursday night or something i go uh yep so off we go, and our house was maybe four blocks, five blocks from the movie theater on Main Street. So we hustled our asses over there, and we get to the door, and of course it's it's restricted, right? Um, and and no one uh, in Canada, no one under eighteen allowed, right? Um, so you have a fourteen and an eight-year-old. So no one under eighteen unless accompanied by parent or guardian, right? So this fourteen-year-old and eight-year-old head up to the counter, and my brother, in his wisdom, says, "Look, I'm sorry. Uh, I was babysitting my brother. We got locked out of the house. My parents aren't going to be home for a couple hours. Can we? I have money. Can we please come in and see the movie?" And <laughs> I don't know if the guy just admired uh, the the balls the on my brother, yeah, <laughs> or whatever. But he said, "Sure." Took our money, and we got in. We missed, I think, the first. 10 minutes or so because We got there just As uh, they were getting to Smith's Grove Asylum to pick Up uh, Michael so kind of Missed the very beginning but Still uh, yeah eight years Old so, so the movie ends um, And we're walking Home on on the street And of course that the the,
1: it's the end of October
0: oh Boy know. yeah yeah
1: this was By, uh, by the way for anyone listening, because Halloween is one of those movies that is just part of the cultural lexicon. But if somehow you're listening and you don't know the actual contents, simply put, it's about a, a killer who escapes from captivity and goes on a murder spree in a small town on Halloween night. It's really not more complicated than that, but it's amazing. <laughs> it is. It's it's completely about a uh, uh, vibe.
2: and. Yes. Because we were walking home and we were both terrified. Yeah. Uh, The trees are rustling above us. We get home. We're still the only ones at home. And, you know, we go to bed and every door is creaking. And I don't even want to think about what's in my
1: closet. That classic freaked out from a horror movie. It's something strong about horror specifically that it can stay with you in that specific way. Like, I'm not going to claim it's as strong as what you guys were going through. But I remember when uh, a couple of years ago when I left the theater after seeing Nope, I was looking at clouds with a side eye.
2: Well, it's no different because everyone's, however, whatever you experience from whichever movie, the feelings are the same. It's just the, you know, the setting has changed, right? Yeah. Yeah. it's no different me seeing Halloween at eight and being terrified than you seeing Nope and, and looking out for Jean Jacket. Um, you know, it's not there. There is
1: no difference. Um, I, I also feel like Halloween specifically is a master class in shot composition. I
0: It's John I Carpenter still, at, I don't want to say his finest because I'm a huge fan of the thing, but Carpenter's firing but on all cylinders.
1: I still maintain that if I were to make a list myself of like the top 10 shots of any genre of any movie ever, then the scene of Michael phasing into the doorway with Laurie there – that mm, would, be, yeah. would be right there in the top five, probably. Sure,
2: sure. Or the or the in the bat when he pops up in the background, uh, a Dean the, the the Dean Cundey John Carpenter collaboration is uh, you know for me second to none, right? They the looks of the films they made together, you know, starting from Assault on Precinct Thirteen uh, through to. Oh gosh, I forget what the last one they did together. It might have been um, oh, Big Trouble in Little China, maybe. Oh, uh, or was that the first one that I forget? But you know, they made so many great. Uh, they had such a great collaboration, and 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 the cinematography, uh, Gary Gary Crib that he had after it was also wonderful uh, as well. He you know he he really chose wisely. Uh, but yeah, shot composition, um, you know, Halloween was one that I went back to again and again and again and again, especially when I got it on videotape, I think, when I was 10 or 11 or so, uh, because there really wasn't a lot much else to do but to watch uh, movies. And when you only owned, like, you know, three or four.
0: heavy <laughs> rotation. I'm not
2: going yep. to put in my mom's copy of Norma Ray, You know, I'm probably going to go for my copy of of, uh, of Halloween, which I did every like daily almost <laughs> nice.
1: I, I also I also have found that when it comes to horror movies for me just just for me personally I don't know how this applies to like other people especially more deep, deep fans I tend to lean one of two ways I either like something that is simplicity personified like it just is something simple and then we're going to explore that which is what I think Halloween and one of my favorite horror movies is underwater which is just mm. alien at the bottom of the sea but still yeah. simple concept Uh, either that or i want something that is like got kind of complicated rules that are interesting in themselves like i love the movie dead silence for that reason even though i don't think it's necessarily a good movie but i I Mm. love it for those reasons and i and i think halloween's a perfect example of that former
2: well a hundred percent it's uh just before it slips out of my mind if you're going to speaking of the ones from going the uh other way more complicated and you guys said you like cosmic horror uh are you guys familiar with the empty man
1: that sounds so familiar yeah the the name sounds familiar
0: but you haven't seen it i might have probably not
2: okay it came out about two three years ago uh it was supposed to be theatrical but i think it ended up premiering on i want to say hbo i could be wrong but uh oh it's terrific it's yeah, I, I I can't even. Exp- it's very cosmic. It has to do with uh, a very cosmic horror. It's about two and a half hours long. It's completely. Uh, it will enrapture you if you like cosmic horror. Yeah, Ooh, it's, it's on Hulu. It's really Man, good.
1: The Empty Man and Burnt Offerings. I'm keeping these in mind. Empty Man. All right. All yeah. Right. At okay. time of
0: recording, The Empty Man right. is available on Hulu. I know what I'm watching tonight.
1: And, and before we move on to before we move on to any other movie, although I do think there might be some more Halloween to pick at, but people have been picking at that for fifty years at this point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, but this is a good example to me of because Halloween is you mentioned Nosferatu and Halloween both in my mind are like staples of the like whole kind of genre as it were. Yeah. What what films are are in your repertoire are not just things you enjoyed but actually change the way you think or are. You mentioned seeing this at such a young age. I can imagine this being one of them, but like when I think of my favorite movies of all time, they aren't just ones I really like. They're ones that fundamentally changed me,
2: which doesn't happen very often,
1: but curious. Yeah, that's, that's interesting.
2: Fundamentally, I don't know if I've had any kind of like major sea change uh, from horror, but I will say that uh, the fifth film, and I, and I, swear to god but the fifth film uh certainly made me expand my mind as to what horror could be and and kind of the film that i set up as kind of the perfect example of what a sci-fi horror could be and that's 1979's phantasm
1: oh hell you you just I mean I already I already liked you but you just went up a few notches in my my estimation <laughs> like I've loved Phantasm since I didn't like horror movies I still love Phantasm mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't remember it too well but it's really I bad. just
0: I like rewatched it. it for Halloween it is such a weird head trip of a movie
1: yeah but the tall man that was the man of my nightmares those orbs that was like my image of of a of a death tool yeah <laughs> growing up. Yeah, no, I have a phantasm tattoo. Like I'm, I'm not, uh, I
2: don't screw around with, uh, with, <laughs> with the tall man. Um, yeah, I saw this probably when I was uh, ten or eleven, I guess, when we had, my family had moved from Saskatchewan to um, um, Jamaica, which I talked about a little bit in the book when I was ten. Right during the time of the video explosion, and without much else to do. We watched a lot of movies. Phantasm, excuse me, um, I had a, a uh, well, let's say, a pirated version. There was a company on the coast that would, they would buy the videotape, and then they would make copies for people, like, which was done all throughout the 80s. All right, FBI, just stay off my back is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> uh, and Phantasm was one I saw in the book I had seen in, in the booklet they had at the store on the coast, uh because i had seen followed it the previous year on tv when we were still in canada and it was showing up on the late movie and i think i read something in it in someone at schools like starlog magazine that i saw like in grade three and um so i am was like well if i can pick a movie yes i'd like to pick this phantasm please and uh And so I saw it, you know, without knowing anything other than it was a boy being chased by some evil guy. That was all I knew from some Leonard Moulton book or something. And so the movie unfolded before me and I was when it when it ended and I had to go to bed, I I don't think I've ever been that terrified to uh, go to bed ever in my life. And I was, you know, probably ten and a half. Or so I just I found the idea because it dealt, I think, dovetailed uh, so perfectly with uh, m- both of my grandfathers had just died.
0: Oh,
1: no, that
2: that year, a month apart, 31 if days I,
1: apart, if, if I may, before and, you yes. continue. So I, I, I did at least one plot. Scott did one plot. You said you just watched this oryx. So why don't you give our listeners who don't know what Phantasm is a quick play by play.
0: I don't know the how space. the fuck to describe it if you haven't seen it. Cause like I watched it and then I immediately went and read the wiki and like what the hell did I just watch?
1: (laughs) Well, if you don't want to,
0: I mean, I mean, I can. The basic plot is there's a grave robbing operation going on at this local cemetery. This kid kind of catches on to, and he's being menaced by the proprietor, who's the tall man. And I don't. This is one of those movies that I struggle to describe. I just tell people just
1: watch it because the parts that are good sell it and the ending does go a little insane yeah (laughs) to my memory admittedly no
0: no the ending still does go that's why when i got to the ending i'm like okay i i need someone to explain what i just watched because like i got the body stealing i got the boogeyman aspect when we went to other dimensional gravitational energy i'm like this has become a very different movie all of a sudden
1: and one of the main symbols of the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it is that there's these spheres that fly through the air they have uh, a screw and two jagged blades that are out of them and they will track you down
0: yep and it just fountains blood out the back like a juicer <laughs> a human juicer
1: anyway so scott you were saying you had just lost some family members actually then you see this grave robbing body parts stealing yeah
0: you know
2: i think subconsciously uh you know It just, it added an extra layer to kind of the, uh, you know, because when you first, I think when you first, you know, encounter death, it's, uh, when it hits a little closer to home, there is kind of a, a, if you're a kid, there's a little bit of a scary and unknown factor to it, you know, which totally goes away as you become an adult (laughs) and, um, I think that really hit at that particular age that coupled with, you know, the imagery and, and the music and, uh, relating to, to young Mike. Um, it just, it's always held a really special place in my heart. And you want to talk about, I would just alternate, uh, the videotapes of phantasm, Halloween, phantasm, Halloween. So, uh, as a that, kid,
1: hmm, sorry. Uh, that segues me to another of my more general questions for you as an author that, that's related to this, because I myself know that because I have this this childhood love for Phantasm, I, I do need to revisit it to see what I think about it as an adult. But right, I, I have I have more than once like just looked up to see like oh are there people online talking about it because I have these strong memories of it, and it's really funny because I find usually not the the best. <laughs> or uh, most positive things. And when I was reading your book, I, I got this, um you have this playful kind of demeanor with how you write that, you know, makes it, I, I feel that writing for a column, that like review kind of writing, also that enthusiasm for what you are writing. But that yeah. style does remind me of like how, you know, reviews are, are, are written in general. And so because yeah. you're, you're, you are championing movies that have a reputation for not necessarily being loved usually by critics what mm-hmm. is your relationship to those kind of reviews uh do you mean like ne- what are like negative reviews or the way that i uh, write i i think like cuz if 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 you answered for instance that you don't you don't you don't pay attention to them you don't care that's an answer. I'm just curious, like, when you've got these movies you talk about that have these the they're, they're seen as like, you know, B-movies, you describe right. what a, a B-movie yeah. means at the beginning, that usually denotes a certain level of critical panning. Ah, do yes. you find that to be enjoyable to read as a way to jump off, or do you th- just ignore it? Like, what do you think about that kind of, that concept? I mean,
2: you know, I would be a liar if I said that I don't I mean, I'm a reader, right? I'm a voracious reader of reviews. That's how I we ended up sitting here today uh, talking, you know, I grew up on uh, review books, right? Review books, not only of horror, but like general review, like Roger Ebert books, you know, Leonard Malton books. So I'm not afraid of reading uh, a a bad uh, review of a B movie because, you know, frankly, we're, we're pretty much uh, used to them. I think, I think if, I think anytime a movie is, If a movie's going to go a negative review, I think if it's, um, I say don't half-ass it. Either do, like, a thoroughly fair um, dissection of the movie, or if you're going to, like, torch the earth, then do it in a way that's unique and maybe uh, doesn't hurt as much. I just don't like reading, like, mean-spirited stuff. Um, So I've always in all of my writing tried to be conscious about trying not to be mean uh in in my writing and I don't think there's maybe two or three uh lines in here that I would take out now uh but that's too that's too late and and unfortunate but I think overall you know I don't I don't want to be known as a snarky writer I am like you said I'm I'm championing these uh, films so but I mean I love a good put down um, course you know and i love to talk trash with my friends you know off off the air about and that's what being off the air is about and that's what having friends in private uh you know uh, is about but i'm not one to uh i certainly don't like to trash uh, anything in public and any anytime i have i've always felt kind of like yucky about it so i that's that's why i try to focus on the positive
1: yeah, I'm glad to hear that because that's – I mean, generally speaking, when I I prefer hearing people talk about things they love than hearing people talk about things they hate. The exception, I like negative reviews when I feel like they teach me something about how to, like, think differently. But that's not – most of the time it's put down for put down's sake. But yeah. again, your book isn't that. Your book is a lot of, like, hey – Let's look at these things that generally speaking maybe aren't talked about in positive light outside of these specific circles. And let me try to explain to you reader what the, what the joy is here. And when I, and I, when you brought up phantasm, that's one of the things that popped in my head because like, I would see a lot of not the nicest things about phantasm. And because I don't
0: know who hates phantasm.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Again, this is just like me, like looking up, you know, people online talking about it. Now, Again, I have not revisited it, but is one of those things where yeah, I don't I don't necessarily need someone to be mean to it. <laughs> I can
2: uh, here I'm, I'm looking at the poster uh, right now. It's goofy as hell. It's goofy, and I think and it's one of those movies you kind of have to meet it halfway mm-hmm. if you're going to I think get the most the most out of it. It's I think one early critic had called it it's you know the three Stooges in the haunted house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, sure. Uh, it's a little bit of that, but it's also, you know, this kind of incredible, depending on how you look at it, this incredible rumination on, on death. Here's a kid who's just lost his entire family, and how does he cope? By, by imagining that this tall man is somehow, you know, responsible for the death of his family, you know? Uh, that's one way of looking at it. It can also be Three Stooges in a Haunted House. I, I love interpretation. Um, I don't think there's really any wrong interpretation, especially yeah. with a movie like this, where, you know, if you think the tall man is like your, you know, ex-stepdad from uh, the 1800s when you were a plowboy in Pennsylvania, have at her. I don't know. That's not for me to say, right? That's up to you. Anything can be interpreted, anything you want. I think it's just a great movie for that because so much is left, uh, open, some intentional, I think some not intentional. It was originally, you know, a three hour movie that got cut down to, uh, 90 minutes. So what you see is what he thought kind of made the most sense. Kind of.
1: I, I love your bit about interpretation because I'm, I push forward the philosophy that a vital part of the experience of art is the audience interpretation and that the, intent of the author matters as much as the audience determines it matters but that's uh, for example i mentioned ulrich's wife slagathor she um detests the concept of subtext in her horror movies Yep, she's fine to feel that way
0: <laughs> she doesn't believe in subtext is the joke
1: <laughs> hey listen uh i love text i
2: love subtext i love Halloween, I love Phantom of the Paradise's uh, satire on the music industry, you know? Um, God, it would be so boring if all we had were, like, Halloween and Friday the 13th. Um, but I think it would also kind of be a drag if we had nothing but, like, art house uh, horror, you know, where strings are plunked once every three seconds in the trailer. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah I know just you know, this last year, Oric and I were on opposite sides of opinion on the on uh, uh, Talk to Me. As an example of that, <laughs> I I was well, as a
2: side note. Yeah, I wasn't uh, crazy about it. I thought it was fine. And, and I thought the lead performance was really, really good.
0: OK, good. We're on the same page there.
2: OK, Um, but yeah, there's that's what is so incredible about horror. If you want, I was just thinking today, uh what's the greatest one of the greatest romance stories of all time? Well, you know, it's uh, Seth Brundle, right? Yeah. <laughs> In the fly, that to me is one of the great romances of of modern times.
1: You know, um, I, I do think the fly is such an interesting example, specifically since the 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 Cronenberg fly is in most modern audiences' thoughts of what the fly is, and not that it isn't amazing, but. You look at that original fly and that story, and it's a lot more, um, for lack of a better term, like, tragic, romantically tragic than you'd expect a movie about swapping heads with a fly to be.
2: Yeah, well, uh, funnily enough, I, when I talk about one of the greatest romances, I really did mean the Cronenberg fly. Um, fair, fair. <laughs> having
0: said <laughs> I mean, that. I, I didn't see was- it. It's, just, it's such a fun left field pitch.
2: 100% but I think I think that's why uh the film still works for a lot of people because the effects were so well crafted and and disgusting.
0: Yes, but the yes,
2: loves so. but the love story was so strong and pulled you through so much that that you made it. There's no reason why you should be well that most people should be sitting through a movie where you're looking through the Brundle museum, you know, in his medicine cabinet of you know, fingernails and, and teeth and Ugh. stuff like that. But yet, that's not what you remember. You remember, you know, him telling her to stay away from him, right? Uh, because I'll hurt you. It's just great. It's it's terrific. But that's horror, right? We can have the romance. We can have the straight uh, thrills. We can have comedy. How many great horror comedies are there? Or, yes. Or horror films I- that... That have a like a pitch black sense of humor that's just, you know, more delicious than like Black Forest cake.
1: You know I what don't know where is? on my list Tucker and Dale versus Evil is, but it's high.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's great, right? There's we have people can take other genres. I I get every I get all my nourishment uh uh from horror. And that's not to this and when I say horror, you know what? My sci-fi buddies and fantasy, they come along as well because we were all playing at the same drive-ins. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> and and with a lot of the same producers and a lot of the same budgets, and uh, I think we're all in the same. We, we that camaraderie, I think, carries over into into those, you know, uh, the more disreputable uh, genres. As <laughs> it, were.
1: It, it is funny because while there is something to be said about an individual's experience with a film. I, I do am a fan of the, the shared experience specifically. I'm currently marathoning all the James Bond films with one of our patrons for exactly that reason. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. It's
2: interesting with horror. Um, there is something special about, uh, seeing a crowd pleasing horror film, um, with that audience. Um, when you're dealing with a master filmmaker, like uh, Carpenter or, or someone like that, uh, who have or you know jordan jordan peele have it like timed out just perfectly they're playing you and that's why you're there because you you paid to get played yeah uh and the better you do it the more appreciative i'm gonna be because you know what life outside of the theater it ain't always great so when i come in here if i'm treated to something special if you've gone out of your way to show me something special or, or show me something you believe is special and it pans out you know, wow. It's, it's a special, it's a special moment. You know, the, the, the movies are, it's a cliche, but you know, movies are like uh, a church uh, for me, you know, I can, you know, light a candle uh, any day. If I throw on anything from my shelf, it's like lighting a candle, you know, Uh, it's a good way to start your day. It's a good way to uh, end your day watching horror. And if you have some time on your break, you should watch some more horror.
1: So normally, at this point in a recording, I, I ask our guest if they have any concluding thoughts. I feel like you kind of just did. Yeah, a that really was perfect. <laughs> but if you but if you have anything additional you want to add as a, a little bow, you're free to.
2: No, you know, I'm uh, I'm good. I just I just want to you know thank you guys again uh, because I love uh, talking about horror with folks. And uh, I hope that comes across uh, in this podcast, and I certainly uh, hope
1: it's uh, come across in the book. And speaking of the book, this would Ulrich, right? This would be the right time to. This is
0: the perfect time to tell everyone about this ubiquitous book we've been discussing the entire episode.
1: Yeah, we've been talking about it with you know in bits and pieces, and there are plenty more I would love to talk about, but I don't want to give away the whole gambit. But uh, Scott, this is where we give you a, a special spotlight where you can give give the pitch to the listeners. <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. A,
2: a Cut Below, a Celebration of B-Horror Movies, 1950s to 1980s, uh, is out now from McFarland Publishing. Uh, what the book is, is, it's a look at 60 horror films uh, from that particular time in the drive-in era. And they're divided into 12 uh, fun festivals of five films each. Everything from uh, The Animal them, which has uh, your animal uh, Animal's Attack films such as uh, Willard and Grizzly, to uh, Those Darn Kids, which looks at uh, some naughty, naughty children, um, all the way up to a Canadian films, such uh, you'll find in uh, um, Back, Bacon, Bloodbath. What I've tried to do is uh, present a series of movies, some maybe not so known, some a little bit known, maybe some known, none at all to, to a new horror fan, but I'm hoping... Uh, that by reading this book that you'll have some laughs, uh, you'll uh, learn some more about some obscure or more obscure horror. And that you just have a, a, an even deeper appreciation for uh, uh, the genre that uh, so many of us love so much. And uh, hey, tell your friends. It's, uh, it's a fun book. Long live horror.
1: Yeah, you know, my my girlfriend's favorite movie is Jaws, and so immediately after reading your section about Grizzly, I just had to tell her about it. (laughs) Uh, Grizzly is, you know, again, that's a William Girdler, and he's one of those
2: fellas. He made it twice into the book with Grizzly and uh, The Manitou, completely different movies. But um, he's a a great example of uh, shining capital S for sincerity in his movies.
1: Excellent. Yeah. And they're shit crazy. <laughs> all right, Oric, uh, are we going to do suggestions of the week?
0: We are going to roll right into suggestions of the week. Do you want to start, should right,
1: I'll start. So at this point in our recording, after we've uh, gone through all our primary topics and given our guests the time to uh, you know plug their themselves or their product, it, plus if there's anything else you want to plug,
2: do you do you got anything else? Oh, uh, I'm currently working on a cook. No,
1: I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, just making sure giving you all the opportunity. So. This is section. This will be very quick. It's just suggestions of the week. This doesn't have to be related to anything we talked about. This is just something that each one of us has been watching or engaging with or doing recently that is worth suggesting to the audience. Example: My girlfriend got me to start watching a show on uh, Apple TV called C, which is a Jason Momoa vehicle that is basically Game of Thrones if everyone was blind. And okay. It's surprisingly credible. It's extremely violent, but... I was mostly... going to ask
0: if that was any good, because I keep, no pun intended, seeing that and going, that can't possibly be good.
1: Auric, right, just go to YouTube, type in Slee Slaver Fight, and if that two-and-a-half-minute scene doesn't sell you, it's not for you. All right, then. But basically, they got some blind people, apparently, to actually consult, and they're very good at having the actors, like inhabit that reality. It's it's a very I, I don't know if it's necessarily as good as something like early Game of Thrones. You can tell they're really aping it specifically, but Momoa's good and the setting and the world is really good and it's I've enjoyed it so far.
0: Alrighty then. Uh, I'll go next. Uh I feel like if I haven't made clear our reassess, I do not hold much stock in the Oscars, just as general uh regard to movies that I think are good or bad. But ironically The Holdovers got nominated for Best Picture, and it was actually one of the movies I've really wanted to see. And I watched it over the weekend, and yeah, it's really good. Paul Giamatti plays a grumpy history teacher who, I mean, you can already tell this is going to tip a couple points for me personally, who is charged with staying over at this private school with these kids for christmas break they don't have anywhere to go and eventually it's down to him and this one kid who they don't really get along but it's this classic in every sense of the word kind of they help each other the two characters come together and grow to like each other it's this great real simple for lack of a better word guy film that we used to make um they each learn things about each other and help each other go it's a really well done movie it's pretty funny and uh yeah i find myself working with the academy like no no this is a genuinely great movie of this year and paul giamatti did a great job acting in it
1: all right scott do you have anything you'd like to suggest to the listeners
0: yes
2: actually uh my wife and i are playing a little bit of up, we're a couple episodes behind but we are really enjoying the current season of true detective the night country with jodie foster
1: you know, I just heard about that today. I, I've never caught up with True Detective, but I love season one, so go on. Uh,
2: you know what? This is actually the first season. I I think we watched one episode of season one, like the first episode, and that was it. So I really haven't seen it. But, um, yes, this is very, uh, there seems to be a supernatural element. There are certainly also very um, big nods to The Thing, speaking of John Carpenter. um it's gorgeously shot. Of course, it's all at night in Alaska. Um, a group of men from a mining facility, a scientific mining facility, are found out uh, frozen with a terrified look on their ice, buried uh, out on the ice. Uh, they're thawed out, and when they're thawed out, it seems a couple are still alive and Ooh. one goes missing. Yeah, but there's a whole mystery that ties into this uh, mine and, of course, the town and, and corporations, it seems. Uh, we have a couple episodes to go, I think, but it's uh, it's very riveting. It's, of course, extremely well acted. Um, it I think it captures... I mean, I'm not from Alaska or have seen a lot of material on Alaska, but it seems to capture that small very small town uh, seclusion uh, very well, uh, I think. So, uh, yeah, recommend that uh, to people. Again, I haven't seen, we haven't seen the finale yet, but uh, so far a few episodes in, it's uh, it's very riveting.
1: All righty, then. I'm going to check that out. Yeah. And so at this point, then, we take another moment to thank you, Scott, for coming on and talking with us.
2: And I'll take another moment, and thank you for having me. It has been a total blast.
0: And this is a yeah. great discussion. We'll have to get you back on when we do our annual uh, Halloween month. We talk nothing but more. Okay, I'm there. All right, Oric, outro. Yeah, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe. Do all the things that the algorithm demands of you, because God, do we love being slaves to algorithms? Isn't it great, folks? But the sad truth of it is, if you don't feed it. We don't exist.
1: And speaking of feeding it, it's going to be on whatever platform you're currently listening to this on, which thank you for doing that. But if that platform was in some way a compromise and we weren't on the one that you would prefer us to be on, tell us what that is. And if it's feasible, we'll make it happen.
0: As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich.
1: And his shield brother, Axel Wright.
0: Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.